Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 50th episode of the 1,000 Recordings Podcast. Yay. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's going to be a regular episode. We're not really doing anything super special or anything um i don't know if we should have or not but we're not well it's 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 weird to think it's been 50 shows i mean you know i guess we've been doing this a a couple of years uh 50 shows wow (laughs) yeah that's that's cool that's 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 pretty cool (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah i'm your host anthony joseph landman and uh with me as always every week is international pleasure baron mitchell davis yeah that sounds good i'll take that (laughs) (laughs) how you doing how's it going it's it's going good here man um yeah happy to be doing another show and uh you're on vacation so that's cool yep i can't get enough vacation that's that's for sure it's it always helps (laughs) (laughs) yeah well thanks for uh for doing a show on your vacation and uh i know you're still trying to decide where you're gonna go you told me you might go to guam maybe yeah, possibly yeah. i don't know looking looking at guam uh, or hawaii or somewhere with a beach and some drinks with umbrellas yeah <laughs> that's the that's the plan yeah, yeah we'll see yeah. what happens yeah sounds cool um yeah awesome man um everything's just normal here for me um on today's show we're going to get into uh three new albums from tom moon's book 1000 recordings to hear before you die we're going to look at uh the chronos quartet album black angels then we're going to move on to uh the album by celia cruz and johnny pacheco celia e johnny and then we're going to end with The Cure, their album, The Head on the Door. So a lot of uh, <laughs> a kind of diverse show today. Oh, yeah. We're going to yeah. end in a completely different place than we're going to start. So, yeah. Yeah, but that's the fun thing about the show. I, mean, I, I get bored. I'm sure you do, too, with <clears throat> what is generally offered uh, music-wise nowadays especially from record companies and the radio so you know this is this is why we do what we do you know yeah absolutely discover new things absolutely yeah um yeah man let's get into the uh chronos quartet album uh black angels released in 1990 and uh chronos quartet is a a classical string quartet so they're a quartet consisting of two violins viola and cello that's the the string quartet of classical music of one of the most standard uh what's referred to as chamber ensembles in classical music and uh you know everybody from haydn and mozart on up have written string quartets it's like this major thing that composers uh write for in classical music and they're still writing for it i mean the, the string quartet is like um you know it's like uh for us in our society, you know, it'd be like guitar, bass, drums, and a singer, you know, that's like the standard rock ensemble or whatever. Um, that's like, you know, uh, one of those standard ensembles has been written for, but since, uh, probably, uh, early 18th century. So 1730s maybe. Yeah. I'm just, I'm approximating, but around that time, uh, and, and, you know, people are still writing for it. And there's still a, a lot of string quartets out there um, playing music. So, uh, yeah, Kronos Quartet um, formed in 1973. Uh, and uh, they were formed to perform new music, new classical music. So that's, you know, uh, the guy who formed it, uh, his name is David Harrington. Um, he's the first violinist. He, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of string quartets or weren't any that I think he was aware of that were 
out there playing new classical music. You know, all the string quartets were playing old music, playing Mozart and Beethoven and all that stuff. Um, and he felt, you know, that there needed to be a group to play this new classical music that was being written. Um, and actually, Black Angels, uh, which uh, I guess to avoid confusion, the album is called Black Angels. And it's titled after the first piece on the album, which is called Black Angels by a composer named George Crumb. And uh, the Kronos Quartet started because David Harrington wanted to put together a quartet to perform Black Angels. So Black Angels was the whole impetus of the Kronos Quartet being formed. Um, yeah. And... Uh, a little well let's see i don't know do you want to say anything about black angels first or <clears throat> well the 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 thing about this record when i when i first listened to it because it, when we first started doing this podcast this is one of the albums that that drew my attention immediately because i knew about it sort of kind of because it was just one of those records that seemed so out there in the, the way it was written and i I listened to it and I thought to myself, it's one thing that somebody's playing this the way it sounds, but it's another way to think somebody sat down and wrote this. I mean, right. that is really crazy. That's that's phenomenal. I mean, to think it's like it's like somebody somebody like got in Sun Ra's face one time. If people know who Sun Ra is, um, you know, he was another musician really unconventional in the way he wrote music and 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 kind of jumped on him about you know your music sounds like something that my five-year-old daughter could play and he would come back you know well maybe she could play it but could she write it you know and i thought about that when i listened to this you know i was like this is really not something that's conventional in any sense as far as the way it was written. <clears throat> right, um, right. And, and I'm, I'm sure that even reading the book, you know, that that George Crumb was kind of like thinking, you know, you have to kind of be more loose when you're playing it and not think of it, you know, in a, in a note sense. You know, it's more kind of, you know, an, an emotional thing at times, you know, where it's more broad than, than just sitting reading notes, which I... I get that too. It, it had to be, you know, I mean, cause this is some really, some of this is really intense stuff where you're like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Super intense. Um, I mean, uh, a lot of the stuff that, uh, George Crumb calls for in the music, you know, for the players to do, uh, there was no way to notate that on paper. So George Crumb had to come up with ways to notate a lot of this stuff. And uh, his, the musical score to this piece, which I own, um, is a work of art in itself. In fact, the publisher of the music score, Boozy and Hawks, they sell uh, large format pages from this score that you can frame and hang on a wall. Because the score is a work of art. The way it's notated, it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing looking. Just the notation is, is, is just, it's a work of art. It's amazing. Um, and yeah, he had to, uh, you know, invent a lot of notation for this piece and, and the ways to write down. Cause it's all written down every sound, every pitch, every squeal, every scrape and scratch and everything is notated. Um, uh, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, amazing. Uh, maybe I'll try to find a page of that and post it on, uh, the Facebook page or something. Yeah, that, that would be um, cool. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I watched, uh, a, a kind of thing on YouTube from David Harrington where he's talking about this piece and, uh, he said, you know, the piece was written in 1969 and there was a lot of stuff going on in 1969. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said this piece for him, you know, he, he was having this crisis because he was a classical musician that grew up on playing classical music. But at the same time, he was amazed and, you know, very into the stuff that was going on uh, from like Jimi Hendrix 
for example, um, you had this what he what he describes as like a, the virtuosity and electricity of Jimi Hendrix, you know, that he wanted to tap into somehow in music. Uh, and you have the traditional classical music, you have the modern classical music that's really turning uh, the classical music world on its head and doing all sorts of weird and crazy things. Um, and he wanted, you know, a music that brought all of that together and synthesized all of that. You know, he wanted a music of of that that moment that he was living in, you know, and that brought all those things together. And then he felt like when he heard Black Angels, he was like, this is it. This is the piece, you know, that brings all that together. Um, it brings all that, you know, sonic experimentation that Hendrix was doing and a modern classical aesthetic and a traditional classical aesthetic and, um, and all that, you know. So he formed the Kronos Quartet in 1973 expressly to perform this piece black angels um there's a there's a lot of stuff in this piece you know that's different from a a regular string quartet you know regular string quartet is just like i said two violins viola and cello they're just on a stage you know unamplified acoustic just you know playing their instruments uh in a normal way right so in this uh piece George Crumb calls for electric instruments. So electric violins, electric viola, electric cello. Um, and he has them play a lot of with like sonic stuff, almost like Jimi Hendrix would do, you know, with um, creating uh, sonic feedback and all kinds of, you know, uh, noises and stuff on their instruments. Um, he has them bowing uh, tuned crystal glasses so glasses that have been filled with water and tuned to specific notes. Um, he has them striking big gongs. He has them playing maracas. He has them shouting things in the middle of the piece. Um, he has them playing their instruments with a sort of underhand bow technique, like an ancient viol, like a uh, which is an, a string instrument that was played, you know, in like the the 16th century. Um, so he gets this really ancient, sometimes ancient sound. He has them bow um, on the side of their bows. So like with the side of the hair and the wood and it gets this like really sort of um, breathy flute sound. So uh, uh, he has them, uh, you know, playing their instruments with like metal rods and all sorts of stuff to get all these different sounds out of the instruments. Um, so... Yeah, you know, this, <laughs> I'll try to not to talk too much about it because there's a lot of stuff in the piece that you can go on and on about. You know, the numerology and the form of the piece and all that stuff you can talk on and on and on about. But I will leave that to the listener if they're interested to go read about that. Because uh, if I talk about that stuff, the show is going to be way too long. And yeah, <laughs> uh, so the the first piece that we're going to listen to from Black Angels uh, is from the third movement. And uh, there's three movements to the piece. The third movement is uh, titled "Return," and in this one, uh, you can hear the crystal glasses. So some of the players are bowing the crystal glasses with you. So you get these chords, these really ethereal sounding chords crystalline sort of it's a beauty really it is a beautiful beautiful sound and in this piece you know the sounds in this piece you know range from the ethereally beautiful to the most uh horrifying (laughs) right (laughs) sounds um yeah and i mean the the funny thing about that too is um it depends on your perspective. I mean, obviously this is not something that, that, you know, you would hear like on the radio in the middle of the day, most radio stations anyway. Um, but for some people, the, the mood is, is a, a pleasant, you know, sort of change of pace, if you will. Yeah. Where, yeah. Um, it kind of reflects on, you know, some of the more dark elements, you know, that, you know, represent what this world is about. I mean, and, and in a in a beautiful way where sonically it comes across like nothing you've ever heard before. Um, and I think that's what makes this record cool. It's just it's just fun to listen to. I mean, to hear 
the little nuances that you just talked about and all the things that go on, you know, kind of the undercurrents where this is a really good record to, to have a decent pair of headphones because there's yeah. a lot going on, little things that go on that, that if you're not really paying attention or if you're in a room where there's other noise going on, you'll miss them. And, um, that's like I said, that's one of the things that makes this record fun. It's, it's just fun to get into the, the sonics of it and, and, and obviously the playing and then the writing, which is like I said, it's like a mad scientist, yeah, you know, yeah. decided to make a record. <laughs> right. Know, right. This is the end result. So yeah. to speak. Yeah. And th this is one of those pieces where you cannot listen to this piece with your preconceived notion of what music is supposed to be. Because yeah. whatever that is, this music is not going to fit into no. that. And what you're going to do is you're going to immediately reject it because it doesn't fall into that, you know, those parameters. So you have to just throw that away and just take this, you know, for what it is, you know, not for what it's not. Right. Yeah, um, basically. Yeah it's, it's, yeah. it's not a typical, you know, piece of music in any sense. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's way past that, which, like I said, it can be that can be really fun. I mean, if you're, you're going to be adventurous enough or you're just someone who really loves classical music and wants to break some new ground in a sense to where I'm I'm really tired of the, the traditional stuff is great, but I'm ready to go somewhere new. And this is definitely even though it was, you know, you know, written in 1970, it's still pretty progressive. I mean. Yeah, I, I would say. <laughs> yeah, even now. Yeah, yeah, even now. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to hear, yeah, this this uh, crystal glass part. And then it kind of goes back into the uh, into the original opening material, which is in this in the score. It's marked um, something like uh, the sound of electric insects or something like that. But there's a, there's a, a Vietnam war tie in here. So this is a Vietnam war, uh, kind of at the time it was a kind of a protest piece, uh, mm -hmm. but now it's kind of seen as a memorial kind of piece. But, um, you know, I've heard things where, you know, the electric insect part is supposed to be, uh, you know, like a soldier um, alone in the jungle of uh, Vietnam at night, you know, and they're, they're sort of terrified and they're hearing, you know, these insects all around them. And um, that's one interpretation that I've heard. But anyway, that sound comes back and yeah, let's just, like I said, there's a, it's a very complex piece in, in at every level. So let's just stop talking about it. And uh, <laughs> and uh, let's just hear this uh, excerpt from the third movement. So, cool. Is there anything else you want to say about it, or are you good? Oh no, no. Let's 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 do it. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> this is uh, Black Angels uh, by composer George Crumb. This is Movement Three, Return.
And we just heard Black Angels by George Crumb. And we're going to move on to a different piece. So this album, one of the things I like about it is that it's not just one composer, right? There's several different composers on the album. And uh, but there's so the music is kind of unified and it's. Uh, I don't know, just just its mood, it's it's kind of uh, specific darkness, I guess. Um, and there's a lot of uh, several very good pieces um, on this album. But I wanted to play a section from uh, Dmitry Shostakovich Eighth String Quartet, which is the last piece on this album. And uh, this album was always very special to me because um, this album was kind of my introduction not just to modern classical music, but to kind of classical music. And the way I came to this album in probably 92, I guess, um, was through a Faith No More album. Right? So <laughs> Faith No More released this album called Angel Dust. And on Angel Dust was a song called Malpractice. And in Malpractice, towards the end of that song, they sample from this movement of uh, Shostakovich's uh, eighth string quartet from this album, this Kronos quartet album. And uh, I just, I heard these samples, you know, and I just thought it sounded really awesome. And I read in the liner notes that it came from this album, you know, uh, Kronos quartet, black angels. And I went uh, and bought this album, this Kronos quartet album, having no idea what it was. And uh, that sort of set me on a whole different, path you know I was kind of blown away by the album at first but um yeah do you have anything to say about this piece um not really I mean we, we've kind of you know what we said before I, I would kind of apply the same things just um like I said just really wild radical sound <laughs> that 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 comes especially the burst at the beginning I mean where you're like, you know, oh my god, <laughs> this yeah, is, uh, yeah, this is really, really. I mean, for for me initially, it was really, really cool because I never heard anything like it. And I mean, it's it's it, it just for me it 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 sort of sparks my imagination to think about all the things that that could have inspired this. I mean, it, it just sounds like a like this mass plague of locusts or birds flying over your head and and you're just like, you know, running for your life and <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a cool record. I mean, it's yeah. it's one yeah. of those things that I mean, like you said, I mean, you don't go into it thinking about how, you know, most records are. I mean, this is one of those ones where it's it's sort of experimental in a sense to where let's just do something different because like you said, I well, like I said earlier, I you know I get bored sometimes with you know the same type of records. You know, like we talked about, you know, guitar, bass, drum, singer. You know, there's only so much of that you can listen to for before after a while, you want to hear something you know way different. And, yeah, uh, yeah. That's this is way different. So. Yeah. Well, you know, as far as like the whole album is concerned, I mean, I really applaud. <laughs> Uh, I really applaud Kronos Quartet's, I don't know, fearlessness in their um, presentation of the record. Because, you know, to to have the record start, to open up with how Black Angels starts, that's the first thing you hear. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when you're putting together a record, you know, someone might say, man, that's, that's the first thing the listener is going to hear. And, and, you know, to consciously do that, you know, say, yep, that's the first thing you're going to hear. Um, yeah, that's pretty kooky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but this uh, string quartet number eight of Shostakovich, um, he dedicated this piece to, he says, to the victims of fascism and war. So he um, was working a lot in the 50s and 60s. He was a Russian composer. In, he lived in Russia, you know, he lived under Stalin's regime and um, he was very uh, anti what was going on in Russia, but he couldn't be open about it, of course. Um, so he wrote a lot of it into his music and a lot of uh, 
you know, especially a, a piece like this, you know, um, he wasn't supposed to write this stuff because it wasn't, yeah. you know, quote unquote music for the people or whatever. It was forbidden, basically. Right, you know? right. And yeah. and they did not like it when he wrote stuff like this. Um, and so a lot of his protesting had to be secretive, you know, and a lot of it is woven into this music, you know, secretly in, into the fabric of the notes, right? Yeah. Uh, in that, fact, that makes, that makes me think about Leggetti as well. I mean, he's yeah, somebody yeah, who... Yeah. A lot like that, who, you know, he was persecuted for, you know, music he wrote, which was a lot of his music was is equally creepy at times, you know. Right. Um, right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to read one quote of Shostakovich uh, describing this quartet when he was writing it. I just thought it was an interesting wording. He says, the pseudo tragedy of this quartet is such that while I was composing it, the tears just kept streaming down like urine after a half dozen beers. Oh, that is an awesome quote. <laughs> <laughs> it was, what's funny is I, I, weird enough, I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, so, that's uh, too much. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, if you're interested in listening to the whole piece and how it unfolds, I would recommend that just as a side note to like people who care, like who are super nerds like me, um, part of the musical, like one of the, the main melodies or motives of this piece is da, 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 da. It's this, um, if you played it on piano, it'd be D E flat C B. This is, um, his initials. So if his initials, he took, um, D S C H. And if you take this in the German, way of of you know writing down musical notes um d is d obviously s is e flat c is c and h is uh, b natural and uh this is a technique he actually took from bach bach used to do this with his own name b-a-c-h and would weave his name musically into his music <laughs> and this is what shostakovich did he used this motive this dsch motive not just in this piece but in a, a, a lot of his pieces and so he these pieces are almost autobiographical in a sense because he he in a sense puts himself into these pieces and into these different you know situations and, and stuff um so uh yeah so let's hear this cool um, this is the second movement, Allegro Molto, from Dmitry Shostakovich's Eighth String Quartet. <laughs> Thank you. 
And we just heard string quartet number eight uh, performed by the Kronos Quartet from their album Black Angels. And we're going to move on to our second album, Celia Ijani by Celia Cruz and Johnny Pacheco, released in 1974. And uh, this is like salsa. I mean, this like this is salsa, right? Yep. This is salsa. I mean, this is, uh, you know, released on Fania, which uh, we talked about a lot on the episode where uh, uh, Tom Moon came on. This was like the label, you know, for a salsa. Uh, this label was founded by Johnny Pacheco. Um, and he actually invented the term salsa to describe the music. Mm-hmm. So Johnny Pacheco was actually the CEO of Fania Records. He was part of what was called the Fania All-Stars. They're kind of badass band of musicians, right? That would uh, yep. that would play and back all these artists, you know, these, uh, these uh, Latin artists. And uh, this is basically, you know, Celia Cruz and and the Fania All-Stars, you know, uh, doing this music. Um, <clears throat> yeah. What did you think of this album? I know you yeah, like this album. Very much so. I mean, it's, I think it was the first record that Celia did for, for Fania. And it was one of those deals where, where Johnny knew Celia's talent. And she kind of had, <clears throat> had some... Uh, big hits previous to this but that kind of had a gap where she she didn't really have very many hits at all it was kind of you know i don't want to say fading but just just was kind of in a in a slump i guess if you would and he decided to go back to what she was doing at the beginning of her career because she had gotten to the point where she was singing with these big orchestras and you know really wasn't the same you know kind of tight you know close group of, of musicians that like she used to work with in the beginning. Yeah. And he yeah. wanted to take it back to that where <clears throat> he basically built a band around her and her talents and got guys that, you know, like from from the All Stars that he knew could complement, you know, her talents along with what he brought to the table. And I mean, it turned out just amazingly well where this record is um it's a testament to, to Celia's talent for, for sure. I mean, she was a, an amazing singer. I mean, amazing voice, a beautiful, just just sonically, you know, brilliant voice. I mean, she could sing with the best of them, but then also could, could go into these sort of rhythmical ad-libs where off the top of her head could just go off. I mean, like, like this rhythm king. I mean, it it reminds me of like this weird mix of James Brown and Patti LaBelle. I mean, I know that they're really not the same artists, but but James Brown was like that where he could he could get in this rhythm and kind of ad lib and and do things off the top of his head, not just with his voice, but with music too. And then Patti just had this this knockout voice that just you know, you you could not get past it. I mean, she she had so much talent. I mean, <clears throat> and I I really had never listened to this record before. I, I knew about it, but never really sat and listened to it until we got to, you know, talking about it with the book. And I mean, there is not a bad track on this record. There is not one that I can say that I did not like. I mean, which is is somewhat rare. I mean, you know, the best records have one or two tracks that kind of so-so but this one is not i mean this one every song every song is very good yeah you know and and i'm like very very surprised by how good it was i guess you know so um great to to you know kind of get onto it and, and talk about her and then the rest of the band too where you know some some very very good musicians um just uh on on instruments and vocals in in this right, record, right, which, right. Uh, well, Johnny Pacheco, I mean, he's um, he's a pretty amazing musician. He he plays a lot of different instruments, you know, a lot of uh, different wind instruments, saxophones and clarinets and flutes, and and yeah, he plays some percussion really good, and good yeah. flute work on this record. Very yeah, good yeah. Work. Um, dude, did you see Celia Cruz's uh, full name? <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy. It's uh I have it in front of me. It's uh Ursula Hilaria Hilaria. Celia de la Caridad Cruz Alfonso de la Santísima Trinidad. Yeah. That's her full name. Yeah. You've seen that before where where you have a lot of people, they they put so much into a name. Names were important, especially back then where, you know, each name meant something, you know, like it's, it's, it's maybe mother, father, sister, brother this saint that saint cousin who knows i mean all kinds of stuff rolled into one name yeah, i mean yeah yeah she had a, an extraordinarily long name you know <laughs> um yeah. so the first track that we're going to hear is vieja luna means old moon and this is a ballad i mean this is a almost like a almost like a crooner style ballad you know um it really showcases uh Cruz's voice in a kind of I don't know like this soft lyrical sensual aspect of her voice you know yeah and I mean that this most of the record is not like this but this particular right. track I, I like because you, you're right it, it does highlight that side of her which is I mean it's it's a, a somewhat romantic song you know uh, a salsa but, but a slow a salsa song where you know, you can you can dance, and it's it's like one of those. You know, this is one where where we're 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 close dancing. We're not fast, and we're not sweating. It's just like, you know, let's take it easy. And 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 her voice, like you said, is just beautiful. I mean, just really nice, beautiful. You know, ballad from her. I mean, this and this is a side of her too that, you know, it's just it's just amazing to to hear. You know. Her crew, as 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 well as you know, when she's you know, fast and and and, and rhythmic and and then sort of doing the ad living. I mean, she she has so much that that goes on, you know, when when she's performing. I mean, so much that she can do. Um, yeah, 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 man. Well, let's let's check this out. Cool. This track uh, from Celia Ijani. This is a Vieja Luna. vieja luna en el momento en que la noche We just heard Vieja Luna by Celia Ijani, and we're going to move on to Canto a la Habana, which means Song of Havana. Um, and this, I mean, dude, this is this is Cuban. This is salsa. Um, this is one of those tracks on the album that's, uh, um, I don't know, it's one of the standout tracks. It's it's you know one of those tracks that's like this is salsa. You know, this is yeah. like this is salsa right here. <laughs> Um, and it really shows off the Fania All-Stars, you know, what they can do, you know, gets in their really tight groove. Um, yeah. What do you think of this one? Yeah. Rhythm is, is off chain on this song where, 
they they start off pretty fast and as the song gets you know closer and closer to the end they they speed up and get even faster where i mean they they're so tight on this song the playing and, and the rhythm it's it's incredible and it's just one of those songs i'm sure people even now today <clears throat> still play this record in clubs and where, where you go out i mean if you if you hear salsa music this is probably a record that still gets played i mean it's it's just that good i mean where it's it's probably withstood you know the test of time where it's, it's just one of those records people go to where they want to hear good salsa and i mean this was just one of those tracks where you know the band and celia they they play off of each other and uh and like I said, the whole ad-libbing style that that comes in and out on several tracks on this record is there, there's really not too much you can say about the level of talent that goes on between her and the rest of the band. Because some of that stuff, you know, it's just like stuff that's right off the top of their heads. <clears throat> but it, it, it works so well within the rhythm of the song where they don't lose anything. And, and Celia is just so good at that. I mean, where, you know, she can throw things into the song that weren't there just just right off the top of her head and, and make it work to where it, it, it sounds so good, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she was really, really, I think, you know, <laughs> on top of her game when, when she made this record. I mean, this is a very, very good performance from, from her and, and the band. I mean, just... Yeah. Like I said, super, super tight. The way they they play together and, and the rhythm that they have is just is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think you're right. I think this represents everybody on this track at the top of their game. Um. So yeah, let's check this out. This last track from Celia and Johnny. Habana from Celia Cruz and Johnny Pacheco. And we're going to move on to our last album for this episode, The Cure, The Head on the Door, released in 1985. And uh, The Cure, one of those bands in the book that probably a lot of people have at least heard of, you know, hugely successful um, band, you know, in, the, in pop music. And... Um, I just lost Mitch. Okay, so we're back with Mitch. A little technical difficulty there, but we are back. And we're going to talk more about The Cure, The Head on the Door. Um, yeah, The Cure, you know, they were banned in England, started in 1976, uh, with Robert Smith being um, really kind of the only constant member through the years. 
uh, I don't know. Would you say they're kind of goth pioneers? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they they were to me, and and this was like one of the first records that that really grabbed my attention from them. Um, and in a, in a weird way, kind of the last two, because um, yeah, they I would say they were definitely more melancholy than goth. I mean, their appearance was definitely goth. I mean, really big hair and you know lots of makeup and 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 dark sounding music at times. But then oftentimes, you know, could be somewhat bubbly. You know, like um, they had a song called "Love Cats" <laughs> back in the day. Um, that was not really gothic at all, unless you consider how gothic people maybe love cats, you know. Um, but I mean, the, the Cures—they're—they're—they're kind of one of those groups that they seem really, really sad. Like, let's you know, let's go out in the rain and cry. And but then at times they—they they can really kind of be more upbeat, you know, even in their, you know, their melancholy state, if you will. So, um, you know, and and I mean, they're one, another one of those groups that. I mean, they they have a massive following. I mean, people who who have loved them and listened to them for years still love them and listen to them, and and you know, you know, dress up like Robert and, and do the makeup and everything. And 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 that's another thing too. Beneath all the the makeup and the hair and the, and the black clothes, there's actual music too. I mean, they you know they they've had you know quite a, a number of really great songs. I mean. You know, not just on this album, but, you know, similar albums that, that they put out over the years. I mean, and, and there are some people who, you know, they're one of those bands you either kind of love or hate, you know, not really much middle ground, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, this album in particular is, is probably my favorite Pure record uh, of all their records, you know, which is, I'm, I'm glad it's in this book. I mean, it, it, it needs to be in this book. I mean, just yeah. kind of Robert Smith's vision, if you would, of you know, romantic relationships and the troubles they're in and, you know, songs about nightmares, like the Kyoto song is a song about a bad dream that he had and, and him trying to basically, you know, write it out in the song, you know, which, I mean, if you, sometimes, you know, people have those, those you know, dealings at night where they have dreams and they wake up and it's like, what the hell was that? And you get to writing down, you know, what you, what you had in the dream before it kind of you know, disappears. And uh, he seemed to be like one of those guys that was really into, you know, trying to figure that stuff out. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, well, th- yeah, this is an interesting album for them because um, they're coming off of uh, two or three releases that were definitely more on the sort of mopey gothy side. And by, I think by 1984, for sure, um, Robert Smith, um, well, I read and one thing that he wanted to destroy the cure. He was tired of it. You know, his 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 career had been a series of doing something. And then once he had done that thing, sort of getting tired of it and rebelling against it. Yeah. Right. Uh, he, he did this constantly. Um, and this album, the head of the on the door was a sort of the beginning of their huge success where they took. Um, sort of more upbeat oriented pop music and managed to merge it with their earlier style, their darker sort of mopey style. Right. Mm-hmm. So you had these, both of these things going on at the same time. And it, you know, I mean, it worked, obviously it worked really well. Their next release, uh, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me was like their huge breakout album, you know, where they sold millions of records and were on the top 40 and all that. But this, album is sort of the first iteration of that cure right yeah yeah kiss me kiss me kiss me was definitely more on the the happy side um and and that's the that's the funny thing like you said about him is that he he kind of would go from one extreme to another where it was like you know i'm i'm bored let's do something else which i i kind of appreciate that but but you you look at this record and and look at head on the door and you look at kiss me kiss me kiss me they're 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 almost as if it's it's like two different bands and then even after that disintegration that's almost like a whole nother band even though robert is like the constant and all and um you know there's always good guitar work 
you know, and 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 it can always kind of be moody, but uh, yeah, he's he's a uh, he's got some you know creative things going on. I mean, he he's like this art student who you know dropped out of school and just and just couldn't really figure out where he wanted to go, but he still had a lot going on in his head, a lot of really good ideas, you know. I mean, as far as the visual and the sound. And I mean, he's he's managed to you know pull it off for a number of years, still going, you know, yeah. where they 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 still sell out concerts, you know, wherever they go, you know, still very popular. Um, and I mean, when this record came out, I was, good God, I was like 15 years old. That's like 30 years ago. It's hard to believe that this record is that old. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> And it still sounds good, you know. Like I, I, I was listening to the blood the other day. That Spanish guitar and the blood, which I, I, I thought about talking about that song, but I mean, you know, whatever. You know that, that they've always had great guitar work yeah, in their yeah. in their songs. That's one thing that I've, I've always loved about the Cure. You know, I mean, just um, it's just one of those things. Like I said, you either love them or hate them. I mean, just Robert, he's he can be kind of mopey sometimes, and then sometimes he can be kind of gleeful and, and playful and and you know i guess uh naughty <laughs> <laughs> at times he's, right right he's, he's he's a character you know yeah he's, he's quite a character yeah i mean you know just you know there's all kinds of stuff going on he's very poetic at times and you know just the the eternal you know melancholy british goth Right, real, right, you know, right. with 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 poetry on the side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Let's uh, listen to or the, the go to our first track from this album, "In Between Days," and uh, this just kind of embodies the new their new style at the time. You know, which I talked about, um, sort of merging upbeat pop with kind of mopey goth lyrics and. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's very short and sweet, you know, about two and a half minutes long. Um, and uh, this is a, I mean, a great track to open the album with. It just kind of states, you know, this is what the album is. This is what yeah. we're doing now. Yeah. Yeah. That acoustic guitar and, and, and that, that synth, you know, keyboard that plays. Yeah. He's, he's definitely, he, they wanted to make some money. I would say, I mean, they were definitely looking for a hit and this, and this this initial song was was a huge hit for them, you know, probably the biggest hit they'd ever had, you know, and um, you know that I mean it was deliberate I think you know the direction they were going which you know some people like I said you know this probably were looking at you know well what happened to what you guys were doing before and uh and, and there's so many bands that that are like that 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 kind of go through those stages I mean. To, to pick on a, one band like that that's, you know, I'm sure they've been critical of how their their styles have changed over the years is you too, you know, and I mean, and, and Bono, another character who, you know, he's he's been sort of, you know, young, you know, sort of angry, politically active singer to very slick, very, you know, sort of, you know, upwardly mobile rock front man i mean he's he's been a lot of different stuff you know and i mean i i guess in a way robert smith has kind of gone through that too you know uh but you know it's, it's one of those things that I, I i still love this record i mean you know even after all the years that, that have gone by it's still fun to listen to it's it's still fun to hear their sort of evolution you know at this point where they they kind of take some of the the cure that was then and the cure that is now and then the cure that was even going to be and it's all kind of this is like a good sort of photograph of what that band was about you know yeah in this yeah. one record so okay cool let's check this out this song from the cure in between days
today is but if you were to move on to our last track close to me um this one is like really upbeat very very upbeat um with a little drum beat with the hand clapping <laughs> and uh you know the the palette of sound in this uh song is really soft like everything all the sounds are really soft like pastel you know yeah. um and and his voice affectation is like <laughs> off the chart on this one it's like it's almost like he's doing a parody of himself you know i mean it, it's you know it's his vocal style but like taken to the nth degree i think on this one yeah, yeah whenever i hear especially like you're saying the, his vocal what what comes off to me is i mean especially when you listen to the lyrics is that he he has somebody that he's been digging for a minute you know like a, a certain person and the day comes where that certain person is right up in his grill and they're talking to him and he's like okay this is actually happening i am talking to this said person i cannot believe it and it's like that's that's where his voice goes it's like you know what do i do what do i do and i'm like freaking out i'm i'm like my skin is crawling i mean is this for real and i mean that i think that's that's what comes off that that's the way his voice comes off that's that's that emotion when you i mean if anybody's ever been there where you you've seen like said girl said boy you know whatever and and that person is just like you know the shit to you so to speak and you finally you know have an opportunity where that person is next to you and you're next to them and it's not like you falling flat on your face you're actually having like a conversation where you know you seem to be like you know getting along and it's like okay is this is this really happening i, I think that's what that's what i get from this song every time i hear it where you know he's he's trying to you know sort of give that emotion you know a voice in this song if you would yeah, that yeah. that situation and yeah. I, mean, I hear his voice when i first heard this song you know i didn't think it was him i thought robert had somebody else like do the vocal on the song then i looked and, and i was like no that's him singing what happened what happened to him? Well, I, I thought, I mean, the, the cure had been along associated with, with uh, Susie and the Banshees. I thought Susie Sue had come in and, and did the vocal over this track, and it wasn't Robert, but it was Robert all along. And I was like, wow, you know, like you said, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like he's, you know, you know, mimicking his own sort of weird character in a way in the song with a very very kooky sounding voice you know yeah and, and like yeah. you said it's, it's real playful the 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 music and the especially that little keyboard and the hand claps and and then there's a couple of versions of the song where where like if you listen to the original record there's there's no horn and in the video i think there is a horn where they're they're all kind of stuck in this wardrobe that that falls off a cliff it's it's a very kind of surrealistic looking video both both these songs have really interesting videos which i I could not find on YouTube. Damn you, YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube is going through some weird changes. That's yeah. I'm surprised late. you couldn't find these on these on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I actually I, I did find in between days, but it was it was a blurry version that I didn't. Like. Ah, interesting. Anyway, I mean, because I I know they they've both been there before, and it, and it could be some legal issue there. Obviously, there are some people, artist wise, that do not like YouTube, uh, i.e., Prince. Um, and anything that you put up, you know, of theirs on YouTube, it will vanish within seconds, you know? Right. So right. anyway, um, just a kind of, kind of quirky, you know, happier sounding cure in this song for sure. Even though the, the, the subject matter is, is somewhat unnerving and, and, you know, more of the, the hopeless romantic that Robert Smith always will probably be, um, always singing about, you know, relationships you know up and down good and bad you know um you know the the guy is and i'm sure he's, he he robert smith i'm sure has no problem with women i mean being in the position he's in even though the way he looks you know you'd figure you know is there anybody attracted to this guy I'm pretty sure <laughs> is robert smith is he's good you know i'm sure he's fine. i'm sure he is yeah <laughs> yeah all right, well, let's listen to this last track from The Cure. This is Close to Me. 
And we just heard Close to Me from The Cure. And that's going to do it for episode 50 of the 1000 Recordings podcast. If you'd like to send us an email, send us one at 1000recordingspodcast at gmail.com. You can join us on Twitter at 1000RP. You can go to our website at 1000rp.blogspot.com and you can join us on Facebook. And also, if you would like to leave us a review on iTunes, uh, please do so and then uh, that'll help us get out to more listeners and we will read your review on the air. Um, And next time... What do we have next time? Uh, Cypress Hill, Black Sunday. Yeah, Cypress uh, Hill. That'll be fun. Yeah, DJ Muggs and uh, Be Real. Oh, I got some stories to tell you about Cypress Hill, brother. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's, that's going to be a, a good one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, awesome. Uh, some world music with uh, I.K. Dario. I think that's how you say that. Uh, looks like Nigerian. Uh before King Sunny Day, it was I.K. Dario. So that that should be interesting. Some yeah, yeah. African rhythms. And uh, Dick Dale, uh, the king of surf guitar. That that's gonna be fun too. That's he's, he he's he was one of those guys that, that took the the sound of guitar, especially the way you you can use reverb and whatnot, and and just made it way cooler than it had ever been. I think you know on, on certain levels. Uh, yeah right right that should be cool awesome yeah i'm looking forward to that it'll be fun um so yeah that's it for episode 50 thanks for joining us and uh join us next time for more cool music all right have a good week everybody